every day. The Morning Drive, FM 96.3 and AM 620, WVMT. Welcome back to The Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here in studio at the WVMT studio in Colchester. And uh, joining us now is the treasurer for the state of Vermont, Mike Pichak. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning. Thank you very much for having me. No so, Thanks for making the trek in. As a as a state official, Mike, do you have any updates on some of these really troubling things we're hearing? Obviously, up in Montpelier, we're just reading the report that's in Newsweek and other places about the Wrightsville Dam. Yeah, the Wrightsville Dam report is certainly very concerning. I hope anyone that's living in Montpelier is aware of this. If you have friends in Montpelier, family in Montpelier, make sure you call them and let them know. Um, there was a report this morning a couple of hours ago from their town manager, from the police department, that they were worried that they would exceed the capacity of the dam and that they'd have to release some of the water to save the integrity of the dam. And that's a different river than the one that has caused the flooding in Montpelier. The Winooski River is the one that's been flooding and causing the flooding so far in the capital city. This is the uh, North Branch River uh, where the Wrightsville Dam is. So this would be a a completely different source of water. Um, They said they've never had to release water from this dam before. It's unprecedented, so they don't know the kind of impact it would have in downtown Montpelier, but that the places that are impacted, they largely can't be reached. So in terms of evacuation, that's really challenging, and, and they're encouraging people to go to higher ground in their house or you know potentially elsewhere. So certainly a concerning report uh, from there and something everyone should take very seriously. Well, that does create a, a situation. So they're currently in a flood flood area where they, they, they can't really leave yeah because there's water um you know we, we've seen the pictures of downtown yeah exactly but it's but it's you know up to like the door right it's not it's not catastrophically high yes well it's easy for me to say because it's not one of my it's not my house but right. you know uh but then when you add water from another river right and it, and and coming in in a sort of rapid pace as right. well a wall of water yeah interesting so that's that's a new component that we haven't had to to really uh, worry about no but, you know i don't remember hearing about that in during irene well um you know for wrightsville dam they've said this this is unprecedented that they've never been in this kind of situation so yeah. i think we've seen between this storm and irene there are some places that have performed you know that have received less impact there are uh-huh. other places that have been more impacted more severely impacted and unfortunately there are some places that have been impacted you know again right from irene and from this storm yeah, yeah. um i'm sure you saw the videos of Quichi and other bridges that were rebuilt after Irene, they seem to be high enough not to be impacted. You know, but one of the things I looked at last night as I was going to sleep was the the the, the bridge in Quichi. Yeah, it looked the the headline uh, that I saw. I think it was on on the Vermont Reddit uh, subreddit. It said, "Is the Quichi Bridge going to hold out?" Because it looked the angle that it was uh, taken with somebody had some drone footage. Yeah. Uh, and it looked like it wasn't going to make it through the I, night. Yeah, I hope I, I haven't heard from this morning if it has or has not. But it um, was closed yesterday. They closed it so people could not go over it. But the oh. water was not yet reaching it. But that, if you remember, that bridge was um, very. I mean, it was washed out. Yeah, it was yeah. gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also reports regarding dams down in southern Vermont uh, in Wyndham County, where I grew up. Um, the Townsend Dam and in Jamaica, um, the Army Corps of Engineers saying that they will similarly have to release those dams this morning they have it's not unprecedented for them but it would still create even more flooding in low-lying areas in Wyndham County uh, including Brattleboro people that live along the West River so you know that's another um, area of concern for folks to watch this morning and this afternoon down the Wyndham County area 
We're talking about this uh, horrific storm, uh, that all the rainfall that's causing all the flooding and, and damage and other things right now with a state official treasurer of the state of Vermont, Mike Pichak. If you have a question for the treasurer, give us a call on the McKenzie Country Classic Hotline, 888-414-0303. Mike, uh, one thing I want to ask you, we were talking a little bit about this off air, but is a caller called just before a 7 o'clock news break and said that he had seen at the on the 11 o'clock news on CX last night that people had gotten trapped at an yes. exit in Montpelier, literally couldn't go, just couldn't go back, couldn't go forward, and were right. trapped. Uh, do you have any update on what happened there? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, if, if folks were watching the news, if they were watching social media, they saw a lot of reports of people uh, trying to leave Montpelier, trying to go north, um, but unfortunately, uh, Interstate 89 is closed, and it's closed indefinitely, so that's another thing to keep an eye out is what kind of damage there is on 89 uh, the Department of Transportation said that right now it's due to flooding, but they're going to have to have the flooding recede, and then they're going to have to examine if there was significant damage or not. So it's just an unknown, so something to keep an eye on. But 89 was closed from exit 7 to exit 9 going north. So, folks, if you're familiar with Montpelier, you sort of go out of town, and you're sort of led to the highway, and they were sort of stuck on the ramp because they couldn't go anywhere. Similarly, Route 2 was closed going north, so you couldn't get anywhere going north. Um, and then if you went backward, you were sort of getting into the water in downtown Montpelier. So upward of uh, a few hundred cars, is the report I heard, were sort of on the ramp and there for hours. And eventually I heard this morning that they were able to go south on the interstate to get to the Berlin Welcome Center, which is on Exit 7. So that's where a lot of people were camping out. Uh, similarly, other folks that were able to get out of there and go south, you know, they, all the hotels on the highway were, were booked up and people were traveling as far as, you know, New Hampshire, Lebanon, Upper Valley to be able to find some place to stay. So certainly, um, you know, that's the, the kind of thing that's why folks were saying stay off the road. And, and even so today to make sure, you know, you don't right. get yourself trapped somewhere because um, even though the rain seems to be stopping, uh, like here in Winooski, here in Essex, um, the river is still going to continue to rise and flooding is still going to occur throughout the day. Yeah, without a doubt. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Hi, good morning. Uh, my name is Connor. Um, uh, hey, Mike, uh, thanks so much for like, you know, going to the, to the studio. I was, I was just, I'm, I'm calling in from actually Winooski, but I'm actually from Linden. And like, we've all seen so much storm damage between this storm and Irene and Sandy. I'm just curious, like, what is the state actually capable of doing? Like, are there any like special instruments or something to help I don't know, like municipalities address the damage from all flooding. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Connor, for the question. I was just down at the Winooski River this morning before coming over to the studio, and it's the river's raging there. I mean, it's not hasn't jumped the banks, but it's I've never seen it that you know that um, that wild and that uh, powerful before. So something to keep an eye on in the city of Winooski. But you know, the the president just uh, approved the declaration of emergency. You know, that helps with funds, that helps with resources in the short term. Uh, after Irene, our office and the treasurer's office worked to get municipalities money more quickly, advance payments that were due to them so that they had cash on hand to continue to do construction. We delayed certain payments so that they could con- maintain their cash and continue to rebuild their towns and their roads. Um, also made sure that local lenders had uh, funds available to lend out to municipalities. All of those things are things that we would uh, be ready, willing, and able to do, and then some to help municipalities uh, rebuild from this. Um, similarly, hopefully we don't get to this point, but uh, we also as a state did bonding for some of the buildings that were severely impacted uh, during Irene. You know, that was tens of millions of dollars of damage to the state office complex, if you can remember, in Waterbury oh, yeah. that had to be rebuilt. Um, I know that the state Waterbury, I know that office has been impacted. I, don't, I haven't heard how significantly, 
hopefully not very much because it's a very important building to the state and very uh, beautiful and very expensive. Right, right. Yeah. But, Let's go back to the phones. Uh, good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning, Mike. An issue that uh, Kurt and Anthony have done a great job of covering, partly because of our friend David Coates, is um, the state pension. And I'm wondering, how have the changes that the legislature made uh, been working? Is it too soon to know um, in terms of how the pension fund is doing? Because um, some folks used as a band-aid recognizing that work would have to continue. So could you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. question. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a good question. So, you know, I, I would have said like, you know, a year, you know, six months ago, we would have said it's a little too soon. But I think now we can get a sense of what's happening. And, and one positive sign that we saw was that, you know, for the last decade or more, the funding ratio, so that percentage of, of the money that's in the fund to pay for f- current and future expenses out of the for the pension mm-hmm. had been going down. So even though we were meeting our actuarially determined contribution amount, even though we were fully funding it every year, the funding ratio was going down, which was not a good sign. Right. Um, most recently, the funding ratio ticked up. So that is a good sign. Uh, we're bringing more into the system than that's coming out. We're, you know, we need to look at our assumptions still. I mean, that's something that we've um, talked about. I know we've talked about on the show even before, and David Coates certainly has talked about as well. And when I say our assumptions, I'm primarily talking about our assumed rate of return, which is um, estimated to be 7%. That's down from seven and a half and even higher um, in you know, previous years and previous decades. So that's an improvement. Um, but that's a, an important number. We're doing an experience study this fall to look at all of those assumptions to see if we're sort of on the right track. It's the first time we've done an experience study in about four years. So that will be another important sort of milestone or check-in to see how those, um, you know, how those changes from the legislature are working in practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but so far that uptick in the funding ratio is a good sign. Um, now, we need to get from where we are now to 2038 is sort of right. the, the goal. Right. And, you know, th- th- those end years, like 2035, 2036, 2037, there's some pretty significant payments that the state has to make to be able to get to fully funded. So at some point, we're going to have to have a conversation. I think it's more about the financing of that than mm-hmm. it is necessarily about the structure or the benefits. Um, making those payments earlier um, recognizing that maybe we don't need to get to 100% funded, but maybe we need to get to like 80 or 85% funded. That's a more appropriate or realistic goal. Um, and sort of resetting our expectations that are more likely to be achieved uh, is something that we it, may need to consider. Is the system just too expensive? Because I know when I was there, we were talking about whenever there was a any extra money, a surplus, yeah, money found under a pillow, whatever it was – we were saying everything has to be dedicated to that pension, which was, it was taking a chunk out of the budget in Montpelier. It, whatever reforms the legislature's done, is it enough? Do we need structural changes to the system? Uh, is it just too expensive? So the, you know, I, I think the, the issue is like when you don't know how expensive it is, that's when it's a problem. And when you have assumptions that are too rosy, then you don't know how expensive it is because you're assuming that you're going to get these great investment returns that don't materialize. And that's one of the things that David Coates has talked about. Yeah, exactly right. So I don't know if it's a matter of it being too expensive, but it's a matter of we weren't appreciating how much it cost and we weren't putting the appropriate amount toward uh, that price tag. So that um, in some ways has been fixed with increasing the amount of contributions that state employees and teachers pay in reducing the benefits, adding more one-time money. That was sort of the gist of the previous uh, plan. Um, And like I said, the funding ratio has gone up, so that's all good news. We need to look at those assumptions, though, and make sure they're 
reasonable and appropriate going forward. And that's something that our office um, is undertaking, you know, over the next, you know, five to six months. Um, and like I said, it's the first time we've sort of re-upped those assumptions in the last four years. It's something you do every three or four years. So we're really interested to see how those um, yeah. turn out and where right. they land. And we got a call, another call for you, Mike, but just uh, quickly. Um, so at this juncture, you wouldn't necessarily agree with the governor who vetoed it last year because it felt that it was a Band-Aid and David Coates, who's felt like that this was not nearly enough, that it was more of a, a Band-Aid. You wouldn't be ready to assess it at that at this juncture to say that? Well, you know, I think there was, um, I think David Coates mentioned the art of the possible, um, you know, various times during that discussion. And I agree with him on that. It was an election year. Um, It was a very sensitive topic. It was in the middle of a pandemic where teachers and state employees were being asked to do more than they've ever done in their career. Uh, So being able to get an agreement that was universal among all of the major stakeholders was pretty remarkable. And I thought we should take that as a win and then sort of assess and figure out where we might need to go in the future. Half a loaf is better than no loaf at all. (laughs) That's what they say. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Hi, Mike. Um, I'm a a young, I'm I'm 20 years old. I live in Essex, Vermont. And um, just going back in light of the storm, um, I was wondering if um, we, I mean, I've seen this in my lifetime with Hurricane Irene, and now there's all this flooding. I was wondering if there's any um, major weather events or something that you guys are looking at in the coming days to, um, you know, give us some perspective on, you know, what we're looking at for the rest of the week regarding the storm. Yeah, we've been trying to get a handle on that, which is, you know, it's going to ease up today, yeah. maybe tomorrow a little bit, but then are we right back into the heavy rains? Yeah, I mean, it seems like maybe later this week we're going to get some additional rain. And um, I think the question, I mean, if you look at it from a broader perspective, um, a couple of years ago when I was a commissioner at the Department of Financial Regulation, we conducted a study that looked at Vermont's changing climate, and we we looked at um, historical records for the last couple of decades from weathering patterns We looked at our insurance claims from a historic standpoint for the past decade, and then we worked with a meteorological firm to forecast out how the weather is going to continue to change and how those insurance claims will be impacted, you know, over the next two to three decades. And, you know, what the report showed pretty clearly is that Vermont's climate is going to be different than it has been in the 80s and then the 90s. And the ways that it's going to be different include more severe torrential rain. Um, and that's bad for farmers who are going to have their you know, crops and seeds washed out or, um, you know, like we're seeing right now in the middle of the season, just sort of uh, entirely flooded as well. It's bad for our cities and towns that are going to be in river valleys that are going to continually see this kind of flooding and this kind of severe weather. Um, so that's something we we did not see as much of previously, and, and um, we expect to see more of it in the coming decades. So resiliency and adaptation and mitigation are going to be really critical for Vermont. Uh, We already are working on that, but we're going to have to continue to um, build and reinforce uh, so many of these uh, towns that are important to our communities, important to our economy as well. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Hi, good morning. Does Does the treasurer think that the fact that we're the only state in the union that does not have a balanced budget amendment contribute to this deficit that we have we're a sinkhole state i mean every one of us owe what eighteen thousand four hundred dollars if we want to break even uh, in the state with what we owe versus what the assets are uh, does the balanced budget amendment would that help us do you think 
Well, it's a great question, and, and you're right. Vermont's one of the few states, I think the only state, not to have a constitutional uh, requirement to have a balanced budget. But that being said, Vermont has always balanced its budget. Uh, so even though there's not a requirement, uh, we've always done that, and that's a really important thing uh, for us in the Treasurer's Office, a really important thing for the credit rating agencies that look at Vermont and rank our risk um, compared to other states. We have a you know, one of the higher credit ratings in New England, um, we'd like to get that back to AAA. It's it's under AAA, and uh, the things that they look at are, are unfunded pension liability and our demographics, our shrinking population and uh, shrinking workforce. And we've done some work on the pensions. We've seen some changes in the population, so we're excited um, to see what will re- result uh, when we get rated what again. What would getting it back to AAA mean to the average Vermonter? It would mean more money in their pocket, you know, be less cost for Vermont to go out and bond for things like repairing from storm damage, uh, but also making long-term investments in our schools uh, and other important infrastructure. Uh, So getting back to that AAA status means that it costs us less when we go out and borrow money uh, to make important uh, investments. So that's really critical. And uh, just a few minutes left, Mike, um, you've been the treasurer now. Of course, you've been involved in state government for many years, but financial regulation, but Anything going on in the treasurer's office that you want to report? And you're, you've been there for a little over six months now? Yeah, so there, there are two programs that we've been working on uh, that we're uh, really excited about. One was a legislative program. Another one was revamping a program in the treasurer's office. The legislative program that we're excited about is called VT Saves. Uh, it's a retirement security program for uh, Vermonters that don't have access to retirement. Uh, so we know there's 88,000 to 100,000 Vermonters that don't have a 401k, don't have a pension. Um in this day and age, unfortunately, the entire risk of your retirement for most people is on them. If you outlive your money, that risk is on you. Um, and those 88,000 to 100,000 people that don't have access through their workplace, we know they're not saving for retirement. The, the statistics will show 95% of them are not saving anything for their retirement. So Vermont Saves is a program that doesn't cost anything to businesses requires businesses that don't offer a 401k to sign up for the program so that their employees have immediate access. It's opt-out, so the employees are automatically in unless they opt-out. We make that opt-out really easy, and we communicate with them very clearly and very frequently about what this program means. Um, But there's also no ongoing cost to taxpayers either. It's fully funded from the Vermont Saves program. So it's something that really could be transformational, something that could have a big impact without a big price tag, uh, and we're really excited about that. Um, We're also excited about this uh, initiative to uh, increase our ability to invest in Vermont. It's called 10% in Vermont. So it allows the treasurer's office to invest up to 10% of our state's cash on hand into economic development and job creation. Uh, Since the pandemic, we've had a considerable increase in our cash on hand. Uh, Previously, it would be like 200, 300, 400 million. Uh, Now it's closer to $2 billion that we regularly see in our state's bank account. So that allows us a lot more flexibility to, to go out and make investments. And the area that we decided to prioritize was housing. That's been the number one issue we've all heard about, uh, you know, ever since, you know, 2020, really, when the pandemic set in. Uh, then also climate action. So, you know, mitigation, um, renewable energy uh, support uh, and the like. So we announced that program. We're going to announce the awards under that program in late July. And uh, to apply. We, we, we'll have future rounds, but uh, the application so deadline was June 10% 1st. of $2 billion is a lot of money to be able to invest. Yeah, so we um, increased it reasonably and responsibly up to $100 million. Yeah. So, you know, we're not at the cap, but, you know. That's still a great, that's a huge impact on a yeah. state like Vermont. So $85 million is available for investment. 
Mike, we just have a minute or two left. I do have to ask you about a question, an yeah. issue that you were in the news. I'm sure you're anticipating this, but it's the EB-5 scandal. Yeah. Um, the Kingdom Con, as they call it. Uh, Bill Stanger's lawyers uh, came out and they started saying that with the documents they looked at, that there was more responsibility on the on the behalf of uh, regulators in the state of Vermont, uh, the administration back then. They believed um, the court cases have all come to an end now, so you know state officials don't have to testify in court, Governor Shumlin, etc. Um, and I do know the response you gave uh, to the media, saying, I, I think, well, I'll let you give it, but um, would you welcome there being some kind of a, the legislature or the governor appointing, you know, someone to to actually have an investigation or something to just look in to make sure that everything was done properly. Yeah. So, and just to point out that those arguments from Bill Stanger were resoundingly rejected from the court, um, and uh, appropriately so, I think. But moving on from that, I mean, we certainly 100% on that transparency point. Um, our department in 2017 created a report that looked structurally at the issues around EB-5. So that was one report that was conducted by state government. We found that um, ACCD didn't have uh, the, necessarily the expertise uh, or the resources or the authority to carry out the mandate that they had under the program. So those were areas that needed to be improved upon. Um, we also conducted um, what we called a, a transparency plan uh, at the direction of the governor and worked closely uh, with their uh, administration to release as many of the documents as we could. And they're publicly available uh, on an EB-5 website right now if people want to look at them. So we released all of the documents from our department that we could, every single one. Um, I think there's over half a million, something like 600,000 pages of documents that are available for people to review. And then also the auditor is conducting a review as well. He came out with an initial assessment um, a number, or maybe about a year ago or so, and he was waiting until the court cases were settled to sort of go to the phase two part of it, which um, certainly eager for him to do and to sort of determine what, what some of the issues were. But at, when we looked at this closely, we found that ACCD, like I said, the agency that had largely been responsible for this program over the decade plus that it was operating, didn't have the resources, didn't have the authority, uh, and didn't necessarily have the expertise to carry out the mission they were given. So you want to make sure whenever in state government you give an organization a mission that they have those three things. Those three things are critical for them to be successful. All right. So you're confident that Everybody in state government handled that properly back in the at that time. Well, you know, I, I joined state government in 2014. Uh, I was involved in the investigation. You know, we worked very closely with the SEC. I'm very proud of our work. I know what we did in our department. You know, what happened in other departments and what happened in previous years. Okay. Yeah, I, I wasn't privy to. I didn't see it firsthand. Uh, but, um, you know, we did find that those departments did not execute or have the appropriate amount of uh, 